Welcome to the Valley Point Podcast. Valley Point Church is a faith community located in Glen Mills, Pennsylvania. Our mission is pointing people to real relationships and real significance. This week continues our series, Me Too. Enjoy and thanks for listening. How you guys doing today? Good? Oh, come on. It's Father's Day. How you doing? Awesome, awesome, awesome. Well, of course, happy Father's Day to all the dads in the room. My name is Dan McGinnis. I'm the Family Ministries pastor here at Valley Point Church. I'm excited to hang out with you. You excited to hang out with me? Come on, we got to talk this morning. If we're going to hang out, you got to talk to me a little bit. So we've been in our series, Me Too. We are, are in our third in final installment of the series, Me Too. It's been a lot of fun. We've been looking at sharing biblical principles for what it takes to succeed in life. You want to be successful, right? Nobody? Come on, now, you want to be successful, right? you got to talk to me this morning, and I warned you now. I'm going to come after you in a minute. So here's the deal. Two weeks ago, Pastor Eric shared a few statements. We're going to recap those really quick. The first statement was this he shared two Sundays ago. It's sometimes I feel like punching people right between the eyes. And everybody said, me too, right? And then the big idea was don't let the sun go down while you are still angry. That's definitely sound advice. And then last week, he had an awesome interview with Lee and Gene White. And this was the statement. Sometimes I wonder if I'm accomplishing anything with my life. Me, too. And the big idea was this. I can do something significant with my life through the church. So today I brought a super awesome statement for us. It's going to be good. You know that, right? Give me a head nod. Let me see your track. Yes, it's going to be good. Now, this statement is wonderful. We're going to throw it up here now. I'll read it for you. It says, sometimes I just want to drive my minivan and wear my gas station sunglasses. Everybody said, me too. Come on now, put on your gas station sunglasses, get in your minivan, take a couple laps around the block. Now you're looking at that and I'm looking at that and it's, I don't know about that statement. We're going to have to come back. But I would like to point out that if you notice, the last two times Eric was up here when he did week one and week two, he took some pretty easy statements. Like you look at the statement, you're like, all right, I get that. You know, it's anger meets anger management. And then you have self-worth equals fulfillment through the church. And then he promptly goes on vacation and he leaves me with this. Wherever you are this morning, Pastor Eric, let me just say thank you. Thank you so much for this. So I, I, I kind of studied it and I looked at it. And I'm like, man, what am I going to do with this? <laughs> but here's the deal. Here's the deal. It finally hit me. The more I looked at it, it all comes down to perspective. And that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. And so and I really feel that there's two ways you can look at this statement. It's either an agreeable statement or it's disagreeable. Some of you are like, yeah, I got a lot of kids. I can fit them all in my minivan or I'm a contractor and I can fit full sheets of plywood in my minivan. It's great. And all this stuff. And you're like, I love gas station sunglasses. You know why? Because I lose them all the time. And then when I lose them, I don't feel bad that they're gone. Right? 
And they would say, me too, to that statement. And then there's a lot of other people in this room that would look at this statement and they'd say, this is a disagreeable statement. You would not catch me saying, me too, to this statement. They're like, I don't care how many kids I have, I'll buy two SUVs I've made of packs to never own a minivan. And they're like, I do not want any minivan. Give me any car that's in that car show parking lot. I will take it. It will be great, whether it's a Mustang, a Camaro, and give me some designer sunglasses, give me the Maui Jims, give me the Ray-Bans, give me the Oakleys, whatever. Just not those cheap things from Wawa, right? But in full disclosure, i got to let you know something this morning. Hi, my name's Dan, and I own a minivan, all right? Now, I brought a picture of the minivan for you to see this morning. There she is in all her glory. We call her Big Red. Big Red, church, church, Big Red, all right? Now, this is a super secret, special, highly awesome racing minivan, and I'll share with you those features now. Okay, so next slide, let's take a look. We can see here, I have the customized two-tone color-changing paint job courtesy of the sun. Thank you very much. You know, it goes from glossy to matte, shiny to dull. I really like it. And then I'm incredibly proud of this next feature here. You can see I have custom pinstriping all the way around the car. Now, this is courtesy of my kids. This is courtesy of my kids because they ride their bikes around the car and the handlebars helped put that pinstriping on there. So I really feel that this adds a legitimate, I'm thinking 15 horsepower or so, bringing the minivan up to a whopping 86 horsepower. I know, it's impressive, right? <sighs> so here's the deal, right? Either I'm very naive, which may be true, or I'm embracing this current season of dadhood with a new perspective. And that's why today our big idea is this. Embrace God's perspective. Would you say that with me? Embrace God's perspective. Yeah. You know, perspective is kind of like binoculars. When you look through binoculars, you can see further than you can see without them. You know, sometimes our perspective is very narrow. We keep our heads down, we focus on ourselves, and we don't really have a perspective that's like that. And a lot of us go through life... And, and we kind of look through like a toilet paper roll and we're checking stuff out and we're like, oh, this is great. And we're passing it off to our friends. They're like, check this out. And God's over here like, hey, I got the Hubble telescope over here. Check this out. God wants to show us some amazing things. So in order for us to talk about perspective this morning, we have to talk about what are the things, what are the things that makes God's heart beat? Fast. What are the things? What are the things that please God? And we're going to keep it simple because I'm a simple guy. We're just going to go with love God and love people. When we look in the Gospel of Mark, we see it says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. And there are no greater commandments than these. And that's all throughout the Bible. Wherever you look, it's a reoccurring, repeating theme. And our mission here at Valley Point Church is we love to point people to real relationships and real significance. And my hope is this morning, whatever season of life that you are in, 
whether you're a student, whether you are a mom, whether you're a dad, whether you are an AARP member, that you will embrace that season of life. Okay, so if you have a Bible or device with you this morning, we are going to be in the book of Ruth. We're going to be in the first chapter in verses 16 and 17. So I'll give you a minute to get there. And while you're getting there, I know what you're thinking already. You're like, this is Father's Day. Ruth's cool and all, but why aren't we talking about like a big burly dude? Like, why are we talking about like, Ruth's cool, but like, come on, man. I I got you. I got you. Okay. So here's the deal. Behind every good father is a great mother. My wife told me to say that. That's not true. Okay. Well, here's here's really what happens. You see, there was some guys in the story but they didn't do so good on Mother's Day. They didn't do the chocolate thing. They didn't do the cards. They didn't do the flowers. So, you know, they cease to exist. They're not with us anymore. So I'm sorry. We're just going to have to... Just kidding again. Now, that's not true at all. So in order for us to talk about Ruth, I want to give you a little bit of context. Our story takes place during the time of Judges, where God's people, the Israelites, they were ruled by judges. They didn't have kings, they just had judges, and for the most part, the judges were pretty sad and pathetic, and this takes place about 1000 BC, all right? So that's kind of where we're at. We're not to an age where we have kings or anything great like that. We just got some judges, and our story, our main characters, Naomi and her husband and, and their two boys, they're from Bethlehem, which means city of bread, which is ironic because they're having a famine and they need to go somewhere else to find some food. So they're like, yeah, this is a great idea. Let's go to Moab. Now, Moab was a place that was not a good place. It was a place where they worshipped pagans. They did all kinds of detestable things there. It was kind of a dark place to go. But, you know, supposedly they had some some food there. So that's what they did. They set out and they moved there. Naomi with her husband and two sons, they go to Moab. And wouldn't you know, they weren't there too long at all in the very opening verses of Ruth. And Naomi's husband dies. And then a time after that, her two sons get married to Moabite wives. And they kick the bucket too. So here's Naomi, no husband, no sons, and she's stuck with her daughter-in-laws. Does that sound like fun to you? Not me. That does not sound good at all. So here's what she does. She hears that there's something better going on back in her hometown of Bethlehem. So she's like, I got to get back there. So she brings her two daughter-in-laws in tow. They were named Ruth and Oprah. You get a car, you get a car. I'm just playing with you, seeing if you're tracking with me. All right. It wasn't Oprah at all, okay? It was Orpah. Her name was Orpah. So they head out on this journey. All right. They head out on this journey. And halfway there, Naomi kind of just like, she stops a little bit. She's kind of like... I can't do this, you know? And so she says to them, you know what? You guys go back to Moab. That's where you're from. You have family there. Go back and be with your family. Don't be with me. I'm old. I'm a widow. I'm bitter. 
I'm not fun. I don't like to play Scrabble. Whatever. She, I don't know what she said, but she's like, look, it's better for you to go back home instead of continue with me. And that's what Orpah did. She went home after some hugs and they cried, but not Ruth. She did something different, incredibly different. And that's what we're going to look at right now. This is kind of our main scripture that we're going to be hanging out. And this is Ruth 1, 16 and 17. And this is her declaration to her mother-in-law. Anybody ever out there want to make a declaration to their mother-in-law? Don't raise your hand. That won't be a good idea. So here's what she said. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, your God, my God. Where you die, uh, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. So talk about a perspective shift. I mean, she went from living in Moab in just an awful place, and suddenly she's just like, boom, her perspective is way out here. She's like, hey, Naomi, I'm all in. She's like, let's do this. I don't know if you've ever had to drag your kids to do something, and they're like, ugh, do we have to do this? She wasn't like that. She's like, let's do this. Let's go. I'm ready. God's got this. That's what she was saying. Now, sometimes I read the Bible. I don't know if you ever do this, but um, I kind of play like this what if game. So I'll read the Bible and I'll read the story and I'll be like, what if the main character did something different? So I was thinking about that for this story. And I'm like, well, what if she said to Naomi instead, she's like, hey, well, what's that over there? And, And Naomi's like, what? I don't see anything. She's like, yeah, right there. She's like, Ruth, stop playing with me. I don't see anything. She's like, yeah, that's that new model of camel you wanted. And she's like, really? And then what if Ruth took off and went the other direction? What would have happened? That would have been crazy. Here's the deal. Obviously, the story would have been completely different and God would use different people. But God's plans are never, ever, ever Thwarted. Never. What he had planned, what his perspective was, is never, ever going to change. He would have accomplished the same thing. So what we must do now is we got to backtrack a little bit. We got to ask ourselves a question. What made Ruth respond that way? Because when we look at the verses before that, we don't really get a whole lot of clues. We see that, you know, Naomi and her family lived in Moab for approximately 10 years, but we don't know how long that Ruth was on the scene and married to Naomi's son. We don't get those details. And we know what an awful place Moab was. They just did detestable things. You know, they got the child sacrifice and all kinds of incest. It was bad. So how could a person that lived in such a dark place make such a statement like this? You see, our perspective and her perspective is a product of our relationships. I'm going to say that again. Our perspective is a product of our relationships. And it was because, most likely, that Naomi moved to Moab. She was probably the only light that Ruth had. The only light. 
You see, she saw God in Naomi. And when that light was going to get up and walk out of her life, she's like, I'm coming too, wait up. And when we look at those verses in 16 and 17, we see there all the things just unfold and we see exactly what she was thinking. Her perspective went from zero to 60 in 2.0 seconds. It's almost as fast as my minivan, by the way. So the two women, they continue on to Bethlehem and they get there right at the beginning of the barley harvest season and they got this kind of social security program happening where you can go out and you can pick up all the extra scraps in the field. So that's what she would do. Ruth would go out into the field and pick up the extra scraps and that would be enough to support her and her mother-in-law. But here's the deal. God's perspective is contagious. Because Boaz, that's a really awesome dude. I'll tell you more about him in a minute. It was his field. And when he found out what Ruth had done for her mother-in-law, he was like, whoa, you're awesome. He really was impressed. So he made sure that they had more than enough to eat. And he made sure that they were protected and taken care of. And a little time had passed and I kind of imagine it that Naomi and Ruth were having some girl talk. You ever seen two girls have some girl talk? They're kind of like talking and chit-chatting and whispering and stuff. They're having some girl talk. And then all of a sudden, it dawns on Naomi. She's like, whoa, that Boaz dude, he is a distant relative of mine. And Ruth's probably like, so? And she's like, well, this is good news because he can be, and it says it differently in different translations, either a kinsman or guardian redeemer. That means to buy with a price. You see, if you're a widow and you don't have a husband, it was customary in that time that the dead man's brother or another close family member in line would pay the price and redeem the family name within the town. He would make them respectable again. And she's excited. She's like, you got to do this. This will help us out big time. So that's what she does. She goes in the middle of the night and she lays at his feet. She kind of uncovers his feet and she lays there. And when Boaz wakes up, he's all excited. And you're like, that's really weird. Why would she do that? Well, that was kind of how she was like, hey, Bury me. That's kind of how they did it back then. And Boaz, he's flattered because he's like an older dude. And he's like, man, why is, you know, she interested in me? There's so many younger guys. And he was like, man, this is a respectable woman. And God's perspective was contagious. He was like, wow, this girl, she's something. So he got up in the morning and he went to the town gate. I don't know. I guess it would be like if you went down to the Wawa and met your friends or whatever. So he went down, he met the elders, and he did what was right. He redeemed Naomi. And by doing so, he redeemed Ruth as well. And Boaz and Ruth got married. And a few years later, they had a son named Obed. And the crazy part is, is that Obed is the grandfather of King David, one of the first kings, second king actually, for Israel. And through King David, the line of Christ would be established. So God used a Moab woman, a woman from Moab, a foreigner, 
to establish the line of Christ through all the tragedy in their life. That, wow, that's perspective. That's huge. That's huge. Blows my mind when I think about it. So maybe your season in life has shifted unexpectedly, right? We all have different seasons. Some of you are parents. Some of you are students. We all have different seasons. Maybe you are a young wife, and now you're widowed. Maybe you're working, now unemployed, healthy, now ill, married, now divorced, calm, now stressed, comfortable, and you're just stretched out of your mind. But not all shifts in season are negative either, right? Some just push us and stretch us like we've never been stretched before, right? Like maybe right now you're employed and you got a promotion and now you're like, whoa, that job is way, 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 way more than I bargained for, right? And maybe you were childless. All you wanted was a child and you're not like, does the diapers ever stop? You know, parenthood is way more than you've ever bargained for, right? Maybe you're single and all you wanted to do was get married and then you got married and you're like, Wow, this is hard, right? Maybe you're content and God has led you to a place where dependence on him means discomfort. You know, that's a hard place to be, but it's great to know that your heavenly father loves you so much. Here's what I want you to know this morning. Whatever God has called you to, he's going to lead you through that. And you've got to believe it. If you're in a season of life right now, that's the season that God has called you to. And he is going to lead you through that season. You see, seasons change, but our Heavenly Father, he always, always, always remains the same. I remember when I was in driver's ed, and I remember like watching a couple of my buddies fail, and I'm like, oh, i got to get this right on the first time. I can't mess this up. I don't want to take it over again. I remember like you had to parallel park the car on the first time, and then you had to like back up along the curb for 50 feet or something like that. So I remember getting in the car, and I'm going really slow, and I'm like, don't mess this up. I'm, like, I'm hoping he can't hear me whisper to myself. I'm like, don't mess this up, right? Well, sometimes in life, we only get one shot at the season that we're currently in, and we need to maximize we need to capitalize on that season before it gets away because guess what the season you're in is part of God's plan for your life so I thought in lieu of offering some takeaways today we would do driving tips lessons for the road of life Ah, brings back so many memories in high school driving cars and everything but nowadays right we have backup cameras Right? We have cars that parallel park themselves. It's kind of crazy. But you know what? Even though we have all that stuff, we are still anchored by the guiding principles like, you know, keep your eyes on the road, obey posted signs, all that jazz, right? I have a question for you today. How many of you guys, come on, this is where you got to help me out. You're going to have to raise your hand. How many of you have been to the beach so far this summer? You've gotten your car and you drove to the beach. Awesome. Go ahead, put your hands down. Now, how many of you, same people that answered the first time, how many of you sat in traffic on the way to the beach? Yes, right? And you might sit there for a long time, and when you finally get up to where it's moving again, you're like, I don't see anything, right? And 50% of the time, whatever was going on was on the other side of the road. And you're like, I can't believe I just lost an hour. I'm supposed to be on the beach. This is awful, right? <laughs> but here's the deal. People were rubbernecking, right? 
Our first driving tip is keep your eyes on Jesus. God does not want you to be rubbernecking. He doesn't want you to be like, what's going on with the Smiths over there? Oh man, they got a new boat. I got to get a new boat. He doesn't want you thinking like that. He wants you to keep your eyes on him. He doesn't want you wasting your time over there. He wants you solely focused on him. Because what happens when you're going down the road? Maybe some of you have been down south. You've seen like Krispy Kreme donuts. And what happens when that hot and fresh sign's on, right? You're going down the road and you see that thing flashing. All of a sudden, you're either hitting the guy in front of you or you're hitting the rumble strip. You know, your focus is over here, but you're going over here and it's hard to stay on the road. It says in the Bible, we cannot serve two masters. We just can't. We can't do it. We need to keep our eyes on Jesus. When we do that, our perspective will be crystal clear. It says in the New Testament as well, too, there's a story about when Jesus appeared to the disciples and they were out on the water and Jesus was like, yo, Peter, come over, walk over to me. And Peter's like, okay. So he gets out on the water and he starts walking. And what happens? He takes his eyes off of Jesus and he begins to sink. Don't sink. Keep your eyes on Jesus. To see the things as God sees them, we must first have our eyes on him who sees all. So what can we do? How can we keep our eyes on Jesus? Well, you can start by getting in his word. We have provided a weekly reading plan in your talk notes today. That's a great starting point on how you can keep your eyes on Jesus. The next driving tip is this. Yield to God's plan by valuing people. Yield to God's plan. I love that word yield, not so much when it comes to driving because I just want to go and not yield. But when it comes to life, it's a powerful word because so many times we just want to do what we want to do. What's best for me? Me, 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 me. But when it comes to our relationship with God, he wants us to yield because he has this perspective, this Hubble telescope view that will absolutely blow your mind if you let him. It's huge. And in order to yield, it just, it's going to be incredible. All right. So with that, just like Ruth, she had an incredible opportunity to really leverage her proximity to Naomi and influence as well, too. And with those two things, with proximity and influence, she was able to make a maximum impact on Naomi's life or on Ruth's life. Excuse me. All right. And the third thing and final driving tip is this. Believe you're redeemed. Believe you're redeemed. I don't know about you, and I don't know where you're at this morning. Some of you might believe that. You may believe that God sent his one and only son because he loved you so much. And that's awesome. But don't go out of this place the same way you came in. Go out with a brand new perspective. Make Monday morning better than it's ever been. You need to embrace God's Perspective. Hold near and dear to the things that make his heart beat fast. If you're exploring your faith this morning, know this. God sent his only son to repossess your heart. He wants it back. What sin has separated, 
Jesus restored with his blood on the cross. He loves you so much. Please do not go out of this place without knowing how much your heavenly Father loves you. You know, you can trust alone in Jesus to save you. Just like Ruth, just like Ruth and Naomi were redeemed by Boaz, Jesus has paid the ultimate price for you. He loves you so much. And I want to leave you with this. God loves you so, so much. There's nothing more than he wants from you than to be in a relationship with you. He's got you here this morning for a specific reason. He wants to be in a relationship with you. And he wants us to respond with me too. Would you pray with me? God, I'm just so thankful for today. Thank you for the fathers in the room and just all the different people groups we have represented here, just people at different walks of life. And Lord, I just want to ask that wherever they're at, that you would provide them with godly perspective. God, when we look into your word, we can plainly see that you command us to love you above everything else and then love our neighbor as ourself. God, I pray as we go out of this place that that we would leverage that knowledge, that it it wouldn't just be head knowledge, but that it would be heart knowledge, that we would be transformed by how much you love us, that we would be encouraged when we're going through a tough season. God, sometimes it's so hard, it's so difficult to walk through a season that's just painful. But God, I pray that you would give us the strength we need, the perspective we need to know and trust that you are in control. God, we love you so much, and it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. We'd also love to have you join us on any Sunday morning as well at the Garnet Valley Middle School at 9.15 or 11 a.m.